listening to The Tenderness Revolution, a podcast about the stories of kindness, compassion and empathy that play out in our lives, because these deeply moving experiences describe what it means to be human and invite us into a new way of thinking about the world and each other. I'm your host, writer and journalist Yvonne Gavin. And every episode, I'll be asking a new interviewee about a pivotal moment of tenderness that helped shape the course of their life. Today, I had the absolute pleasure of chatting with the British writer, TV, stage and voiceover actress, Miranda Keeling. You might have seen her appearing in shows such as EastEnders and Emmerdale and heard her on the BBC in numerous radio plays. But Miranda has another talent, one that she's made into a book. It all started on Twitter around 10 years ago when she started tweeting her observations about all sorts of things. A woman wearing a beautiful sari that billows in the breeze while she stands at a bus stop a man taking funny selfies outside a building site. She'd post them on her account, and soon lots of people began following her and responding to her funny, but also moving and quite profound observations. This went on for a while and led to her putting them all down in a book that's been beautifully illustrated called The Year I Stopped to Notice. I think that we could all learn so much about each other and about what it means to be human just by observing each other more. And I absolutely love these witnessings that Miranda has captured. I couldn't help but read my favourite ones out during the course of the interview and was very relieved that Miranda approved of my delivery. We talked a lot about why Miranda started recording what she noticed and how observing what's happening around us in our day-to-day lives has the power to improve our relationships and the ability to help us connect with others by making us feel more present. I really hope this conversation encourages you to put your phone down the next time you're in a cafe or on public transport and just watch what's going on around you even just for a few moments, and I'd love to hear from you if you do. You might just witness the magic among the mundane and end up viewing life a little bit differently. I'm so excited to be talking to the lovely Miranda Keeling today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So Miranda, I have to say that I feel like I've literally been carrying all of these beautiful moments of tenderness around with me after reading about them in your book. And I just can't wait to hear you talk about them, what it felt like to observe them and why you wanted to write them down. But first, I want to start off, as I always do, by asking you to share a particular moment of tenderness with us that really means something to you, because the idea behind the Tenderness Revolution podcast is that essentially our lives are made up of all these little stories stitched together. And when we shine a light on scenes where we felt a profound sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves, moments where we felt seen or understood or that we had a deeper relationship to the world around us, It's as though we're wakened to a greater sense of meaning and purpose. So please do share your moment with us. So I've been thinking about this quite a lot because um, 
because I didn't know whether to try and find something from my life before kind of the observing stuff. Um, and I was talking to my friend about it recently and, and we were sort of talking about exactly what you just said, which is that, that a lot of the material I've got is already kind of recording moments of tenderness. And it was really interesting that you said sometimes, did you say sometimes I put myself in them? Yeah. It's bizarre because what I've found, so what, I've, what I'm going to do first is read you a couple of the types of moments of tenderness that I think are relevant. And then I'm going to end on the one that I want to kind of explore for this. Just to give it a bit of context. So here's a couple of observations that I made. A homeless man on rainy Oxford Street thanks a passerby for giving him a sandwich. Before eating it, he uses the napkin to dry his damp dog. And I remember there was lots of kind of response on Twitter about that one. But I remember personally just feeling really... Somebody said to me once that... Um, oh, you know, homeless people shouldn't be allowed to have animals because, um, you know, because you have to look after them and stuff like that. But as far as I'm aware and from reading about animals, specifically dogs that people on the street have with them, they will feed their dogs and look after their dogs before, you know, they'll feed themselves. And the relationship is really precious and important. And then the other one is... Um, Woman on a bus, I'm trying to carry my baby in her pram up the tube stairs and a little girl, maybe about 11 years old, asks if I want help. And I'm like, can you? And she picks up the pram and I say, you're a strong, strong young lady. And she smiles, nods at me and says, football. Aww. And there's lots in there as well. So, so that's the kind of thing I do normally. But this is the one I wanted to talk to you about because this is one where I sort of, I feel a bit bravely put myself into it because I don't often do that. And when I do it, it's normally in a very soft way. But this moment really struck me and I wanted to write it down. On my way home, I find myself briefly behind a woman with the same hair, way of dressing, shape, and even walk of someone I loved hugely who died a long time ago. She crosses the street and I wish we were going the same way to give me more time in a world where I have not lost her. And I got an incredible response to that piece of writing. It, it, it's something that's happened to me before anyway, seeing, seeing her. Um, but the responses were really powerful. And I, I wanted to read you a few of them to, to give you a sense of what I mean. So Alan wrote to me saying, I had a friend, she died over six years ago. She's with me most days, still missed, still loved. It gets easier, but she was such a loss that she'll never be forgotten. Mm. And Claire says, I lost my sister-in-law some years ago and this very same thing happened to me. You know, it's not them, but for that moment you want to believe. And Cloffy says, grief is something you live with, isn't it? It has a habit of catching up with you when you least expect it. Amanda says, this happens to me often. It's weird. I never think someone looks like any of my living friends, but I often see someone who reminds me strongly of a friend who died. Our brains must be looking for them. Um, and then this last one, Katie says, I get that. There's a grandparent who picks her grandson up from my school once a week. She looks and walks like my granny who died a long time ago. The first time I saw her, I just wanted to hug her. And now I just want to make sure she gets up and down the stairs safely. Oh. So... There, I mean, this is just a fraction of them, um, but I felt seen, which is what I think you talk about, isn't it? I felt so seen and I got no 
you know, the internet can be a funny place, you know, and I didn't get any difficult responses. I just got these little outpourings of kind of, I, I hear you, I see you, I've been there, I have this angle on it, yeah. Oh my gosh, there's so much in that that I really want to to sort of go into with you. Um, your description of of seeing that woman who reminded me you of someone that you really loved who died. I think it it's what you do in your book, as in you're kind of describing how everything is connected. It feels like in your book, you're you're sort of saying there's like this deep sense of humanity that everybody is human and we all have this this kind of humanity that connects us and there are a few um a a few moments where there's one um that I wanted to read out a little bit further on into the conversation where a woman gets off a train and another woman gets on (laughs) who looks just like her and it's almost the same thing it's like this kind of echoes of of it's like you know I I do believe that you know when we lose someone close to us they in some way they stay with us and it doesn't seem strange that you would you would see them in other people or even that they could be part of another person as well or you know I just it's almost like you you see the interconnected web that is what it means to be alive you know that's what comes through in, I love that. I love that as a description. You know about the Maya fascia that's kind of under it's under the skin and between the muscles and the skin in our bodies? Yeah. yeah. Say, like, <clears throat> you know, people who work on it say that you can release part of it because it's like a big net all over you. You can release part of it and it'll affect lots of other parts of your body because, you know, we don't we don't just um I guess throw a throw a pebble into a pond and nothing happens. There are these ripples and underneath it, maybe the fish. Are disturbed in the way that they're swimming and I do I really yeah I think what I love about what you just said is that I think there's a profundity is that a word in the in the in the mundane not yes. mundane yes but in the in the um, everyday that that surprises me constantly and yeah. that I partly see when I put all of these little moments all together yeah so when I was given the proof to read to check for you know typos and stuff even though I've written them, I couldn't just sit and read the whole, you know, I had to take breaks because there's quite a lot in these tiny things. Mm, There is. Um, And you want them to have a chance, like the pebble in the pond, you want them to have a chance for the ripples to settle before you look at the next one. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely, I I definitely agree. Um, So before we get to your brilliant observations, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your background because you've moved around quite a lot um, in your childhood. So you were born in Yorkshire, you grew up in London, Wolverhampton, Holland and America. (laughs) And I wanted, well, I just wanted to ask if you think that that moving around made you more aware of your surroundings and it helped turn you into a sort of witness of, of moments, these moments involving people and places really like that word witness I've not heard that used before about it so true um yes definitely so Wolverhampton was a uni so that was later but the rest of it was all very you know sort of under 10 lots of moving about and sometimes so in the Netherlands we didn't speak Dutch and we were put into a school my brother and I where in theory it was a European school 
would speak English, but they didn't. They spoke Dutch and translated it into French for some reason. So the two of us were just kind of, ah, all we could do is watch and listen, you know, and, and kind of learn. So I think, um, I think it gives you a um, a need a need to adapt, I guess. My niece was saying to me the other day, because she's moved schools and she was like, oh, you know, you shouldn't have to adapt. You you should be, um, you shouldn't lose yourself. And I think she's right. I think she's absolutely right. So I think there's a balancing point between adapting to something and, and for me being quite watchful in, in working out how to do that. Mm. And at the same time, retaining kind of who I was and not feeling like I couldn't be the English kid in the American school and stuff like that. Um, and culturally, it's interesting, isn't it? Like I've got, you know, so Jewish American, Christian, Irish in the background, you know, lots of different influences in terms of family as well that I think give me an understanding of different ways of being, different things to notice and celebrate. It's kind of explaining how you came to be this observer. Yeah, this 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 kind of witness of life. So. No, I, 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 yeah, it's really interesting to imagine you in all those different places. And, um, and yeah, I love that, that bit about not losing yourself, but also learning to adapt. It's as though, because I think in your observations, there has to be like a, the, the observations are coming from you. So you have that strong sense of, of being grounded and, and seeing yeah. things through your eyes, but also you're very connected to other people. So I can see those, those two things coming through there. So, so let, let's just uh, describe your book to the listener because okay. it's lovely. And I just would like you to explain what it sort of seeks to capture because it's so unique and it all kind of started with Twitter, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to write a diary when I was very small, you know, and I and a very, very detailed one, um, what people were wearing and saying and like all of that. And I didn't connect it with that until recently that I realized I'm writing a diary again, but it's a, a public diary. Um, yeah. So I started writing these observations of life around me and then I started putting them on Twitter. And then, you know, initially I had no followers and it was just somewhere to put them kind of. And then people started enjoying them. And now I have these, well, this kind of community really who check in most days <laughs> and um, they, they often share with me what, they, what they're observing now. So the book is a collection of these observations set over a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're very diverse as well. I mean, I, I, have, to, I have to say I did, sort of start telling you a little bit before the interview started but I yeah. love these moments so much so I literally scour novels for moments like this <laughs> so really yeah so when I read like if I'm reading a you know a novel I will skip through the narrative to get to these kind of descriptions yeah, they, they they're just they just do it for me they really really do it for me and they're they're very varied though they're not just sort of whimsical and beautiful and poetic um and when I was reading it I honestly I had to keep sort of saying to my husband oh listen to this one (laughs) reading them aloud yeah Um, yeah. and even my nine-year-old um she saw the book after I'd finished reading it and she she just sat down she read the whole thing 
Um, oh, it's, wow. Yeah, it's so accessible. Like that's the other thing that's really interesting about it that it's so it's so accessible and honest, and it's it's capturing what what's around all of us all the time. But what? sorry, well, I'm just really fascinated by the chill the the accessibility thing so loads of my friends kids have been my friends kids who are under five and can't read yeah are like holding it because it's got a sort of um I guess a feeling about it that's quite nice like a weight and stuff yeah I had two things recently I had um a follower let me know that she had bought it for herself and her 12 year old who's very dyslexic and and reading makes her very angry picked it up and um found that she could because there's not much on each page could get to the end of the page and feel a sense of achievement so she's been reading the book which has been really lovely and then somebody else was telling me recently that they've given it to um their granddad who's got dementia and also he's able to you know to to cope with these small sort of things and I think that's really fascinating and it wasn't something I kind of expected at all I hadn't sort of I remember the publisher saying what (laughs) you know we were talking about the market and the cover and oh you know probably probably your audience is you know women in their 30s or something like that and I and I which I'm not anymore um and I said no I don't think so I think there's loads of men I think there are people of all ages different religious backgrounds I don't think and it's been really surprising and interesting to see that 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 is the case I agree I I agree with all of that um and you know the space around the moment it does, it it frees up the reader. I mean, I, I really like poetry and then I read a lot of poetry and this is like, it feels like a pure form of poetry to me. And um, yeah, I can definitely see that with children. You know, it's not, it's not intimidating to read because of the space on the page. I just wanted to read out a couple of my favorite ones because I wanted to illustrate how sort of how different they are so there's some funny and bizarre ones so I really like this one a builder outside the shard laughs as a massive leaf lands squarely on his bald head just in time to be captured in the selfie he's taking (laughs) it's so nice for me to hear them read up by someone else that is a joy good (laughs) yeah Um, um and the one that I mentioned earlier, um, which, as I was saying before, it really makes me think about how we're all part of something and we're all sort of off this world and we can witness the same surprising things if we're willing to notice. A woman gets off the Manchester Metro link. Immediately, a different woman gets on who looks just like her and several of us do a double take. And that that thing of there's a few of you who've all noticed yes. and, and you all notice each other noticing yes. that. That's fascinating. That happens a lot. Yes. You know, I remember years and years ago, I was dating a guy who was in a band and like when I was 19 and I arrived at the gig, his gig quite late and everybody was they, the face they turned around to see me with was very strange. And I was saying to everyone, what, what, what's going on? There had been a woman at the front dressed like me and who looked like me, they said. And um, everyone had thought I was there for the whole first half an hour of the gig. But none of us, you know, I didn't see her afterwards. I guess she must have left. But that feeling is like, <gasps> and I think that was similar to that. And that, that moment. That's, 
Yeah, that doppelganger yeah. thing. And like, what does that mean? And, you know, does it mean anything? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, I do love the really poetic and sort of whimsical ones. <clears throat> this one really stood out to me. A woman stands at a bus stop, silhouetted by the Sunday sun, the vivid green silk of her sari billowing around her in the wind like smoke. Ah, so beautiful. Do you know what's really nice about hearing you read them is that um, I've, I've written them with a certain rhythm in my head as if they were poetry in a sense like prose poetry I guess and you're reading them no pressure but you're reading them as it with the same rhythm I have in my head so that's really useful for me to understand that that's how they're landing because I work on that I craft that a lot I don't you know I'll write something in my notebook like woman sorry billowing sunshine whatever and then later when I come to craft the the observation I, I really think a lot about those rhythms and the the ones that are funny, you know, how do I, how do I get it? How do I get at the comedy and pull it out so that it's, you know, in the right place? So thank you for that. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. That's, that's such a relief. <laughs> you know, they say that, um, this is going to make me sound very pretentious, but that Shakespeare, because there weren't directors in his time, the reason, one of the reasons that he used all of that, you know, um, very specific languages to direct his actors through um through the words mm. because he you know and obviously I'm not comparing myself to Shakespeare but it's interesting language is fascinating like that isn't it mm. and interesting I think how you would have had these observations and witnesses and then written them down and then gone away and I did read uh, that you had added to some of them or you know that, you know that some of them maybe are exactly as they were and others slightly change but I think that's also the beauty of it if I change them I try and be very I try not to do that it doesn't feel fair but when Twitter had a very small um what's it called you know um character oh, limit yeah, yeah. Sometimes I couldn't fit the word woman in, so I'd have to say lady. Oh. <laughs> or I'd have to change things like that. Or I couldn't say, you know, um, yellow. Or I might say pale or something to try and give that, that sense. But also, I guess if I heard an overhearing that I thought could ever offend anyone, I might change the name. Yes. Okay. Just so yeah. there's no way that anyone could be identified and feel embarrassed or something like that. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. So the book is set in London, and I think that's partly what makes it so special because it's really eclectic. And you zoom in on all these different people and their different experiences that have this deep sense of humanity embedded in them. But there are observations in other places like the north east of England and the US. And I wanted to ask if, did you notice like a different sort of energy or different rhythms? in those places yeah definitely I mean you must relate to that actually having lived all over because it just it's very very different Durham time is different when you're in a cafe or a bus queue or anything like that it's got a sedateness to it mm. somehow and then in Brooklyn where my cousin lives it's all very loud and big and fast and um 
you know, even just being on the subway, everything's like whoosh. Mm. So I think, <laughs> I think it does, but it's also the same in, I don't know about where you are, but in the little parts of London, it's different. Yeah. Mm. You know, you turn a street corner and you go from where I am, there's like this kind of quite, quite almost villagey feel for London. Mm. And then you, and then you get out onto the, you know, Ho Street and suddenly it's traffic and, and all of this stuff. So I think, I think there are really distinct atmospheres to every place. Yeah. Yeah. Also sounds, you know, if somebody, somebody left me a voice recording from Nepal and just the birds in the background are different, you know, and it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. And I noticed that in the um, little conversations that you overhear, I yeah. think there was one in Durham where they were talking about, he was ordering a coffee <laughs> and that really made me laugh because I could, I could actually hear the accent in my head. And it was, <laughs> so, it's funny, isn't it? Because yeah. that's the one of like, um, do, do you want a coffee? What kind of coffee? A fancy one? No, just a cappuccino. A fancy one. Yeah. And I think, I think I love yeah. that because, of course, of course, in Durham there are amazing coffee shops and baristas who really know what they're doing. And I don't want you know, don't want somebody from Durham. You know, my uncle's in Durham. I'm, go I'm going there today actually. Um, I don't want somebody to say, oh, "Come on," you know. But it is that very. There's a particular type of, of of Durham guy that people will recognise if they're from there. That um, that reminds me of those two. Definitely, you captured it really well. Um, so just going back to this idea of of what your observations are, um, mm. I've heard you say that you were inspired by haiku, um, mm. and I wondered if at any point you thought of calling them poetry, or what you think you would have had to have done to them in order for them to actually be considered poetry or if a really good question you're afraid that the, the audience would be somehow not as diverse mm. or they wouldn't have appealed to such a wide audience if you called them that really thought about this a lot you know because I've had them I've read them twice on the verb which is a poetry yeah. program and I always feel as though there are actual poets there and I'm reading my things you know and um what's the difference I guess what I have to just say that I'm totally ignorant of it you know I mean I know they don't fit the rules of haiku but there is an atmosphere that is similar and the atmosphere I would suggest is there's a there's a, a sort of I guess a philosophical uh what's the word um ethos or, or or a thing that you're trying to do with a haiku that thing of capturing the ocean in a drop of water so you're, you're in this small thing you're trying to encapsulate mm. um what's my favorite haiku don't worry spiders i i clean oh, i clean occasionally or something like that you know um the, so Although I know my stuff isn't haiku, I don't know enough about poetry to tell you what, why it's not poetry or if it is. I just don't know the rules. And that just makes me feel, um, yeah, just not, not qualified to answer the question. I should look into it, really, shouldn't I? Because then well, I would be able to say, these are strictly poetry, these aren't, this is why. Mm. It's definitely something I should look at because I love reading poetry. I've loved it since I was a child. Mm. I, 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 All I know is... I really enjoyed reading them as much, if not more, than I enjoy reading poetry. And I was just really thinking, what's like, what's the difference? You know, what is it? Yeah, and I, I almost think it's literally just that intention. It, 
what you want to call it but that's why it's an interesting book and um I do think that you know from a publisher's point of view mm. it's, it it can go in different places for example like on the till or you know on yeah. the, I think poetry actually calling something poetry can limit it I think that's what's interesting I know there's this highbrow because I'm yeah, quite involved. I'm yeah I'm, I'm involved in um, a poetry press and you know and I've, oh. I've been doing poetry for a long time but I do think that there's a, a sort of a highbrow element to it and there's this kind of it can be a bit of an ivory tower and actually what's that amazing sorry yeah no no like, what's that brilliant poet Holly McNish yes yeah yeah so I went to see Holly McNish for the first time because a friend of mine told me about her I was floored by her I just thought her poetry was astonishing it spoke to me as a mother in this visceral way and she as a person you know performing it added this dimension Mm. um and I thought she works a lot she said I think she said that she works with young people trying to give them access to poetry because poetry yeah it has this kind of highfalutin sort of reputation Mm. but it's it's really raw and it really reaches right out to people so I think actually it'd be great to kind of remove that feeling you know Roger McGough has that gorgeous poem about the um driver of the lethal lorry trembles out and says I'm sorry but it was his own fault and he does this thing where he he kind of puts two words together lethal lorry to make one word and Mm. I remember reading that when I was a child and just thinking wow you know yeah so yeah I I think I'm I think I'm doing exactly what you said and going oh no it's not poetry but really I should probably think is it yeah yeah maybe it it should just be on the shelf with the poems as well maybe that's mm. that's all you need to do <laughs> yes <laughs> I think so. Um, so you you trained as an artist you actually have a degree in yeah. glass making um creating miniature sculptures from recycled glass and mm. then you became an actress so it seems yeah. like you've always been interested in detail in the complexities of people and also in the way that there are worlds within worlds and sort of tiny miracles happening everywhere yeah um and it, yeah it, you know it reminds me of a friend of mine who's an artist and his wife um, he told she told me that um, that when they were in Asia and they were visiting <clears throat> this really beautiful temple, she found him sort of crouched down on the floor near the entrance with his camera, taking photos of this little colony of ants. <laughs> and it was like this this beautiful temple, but look at this! Look at the ants! I love it. I love it though. I wanted to ask you about two things. I wanted to ask, why do you think so many of us forget to look at the world in this way, the way that you do? And also, how do you cultivate this way of seeing if ever you lose it? And do you ever lose it? Why do I think people don't do it? I think that there are a lot, especially now, I think because I grew up without these things, now there is a pull to devices that's very, very strong. So anytime you're in a your rest, you're in a restaurant, your mate goes to the loo, you take out your phone, you're sitting on the bus, you go over the Thames, it's a beautiful day, but you don't look because you're looking at your phone. I think we have things designed to 
to stop us noticing reality and to, to get us to notice something that is a world in itself, you know? So I think that's one of the reasons. I think also the, the news, you know, and, and the, what's happening in the world is constantly super bad, you know, a lot of it. And the, the positive things that are happening, which are happening all the time concurrently, I don't know that they, they raise to our awareness enough. And so we feel almost a guilt, you know, that I can understand that we should be thinking about, but what about this? You know, why, why am I noticing this leaf? Because, um, and to get back to it, that's a really good question. I was talking about this the other day to somebody. So there's a, an exercise you can do if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, um, where, you're, where you name the things that you can see or that you can hit, you know, you can sense with your senses. So I might just suddenly go, I'm a bit overwhelmed. Okay, lamp, laptop. Yvonne, cat, you know, whatever. And and oh yes, now I'm here. Okay. So I think noticing things is a really good and sort of scientifically supported exercise, isn't it? Of yeah. reconnecting with things. And I have an amazing um somebody sent me a there's a girl in in Ukraine who's in Kiev who's who was tweeting and she was going out into the street and she was just tweeting. A man walks past with his dog, you know, just little observations of her day. Mm. and um they just sent it to me because they said I think yeah I think she's using a similar you know obviously she's in a terrible place and it's not comparable I'm so privileged to be here right but but the that sense that you that you can you can't change the big things but you can focus in on something small mm. that you know mm. that can help yeah and Ah, oh, that's so interesting. I, I actually wanted to ask you about that thing of the phone thing, because I wondered mm -hmm. if you had to make a really conscious effort to look at your phone less when you were sort of <laughs> engaging in this, because it, it's, it's just everywhere. It's an addiction. We're not even aware of how bad it is. Mm. And a lot of the observations take place in cafes and on trains and on buses when most people would be on their phones all wrapped up in their internal dialogue and mm. I wondered like did that used to be you or have you always been? yeah I think it's a constant push and pull isn't it um we're always trying to find that balance all the time I've now got a really strict rule with myself that on nursery on non-nursery days when I have my daughter with me then then I don't use it at all or not not at all but I just use it for things like the sat nav and stuff because I've just got this such a sense of how quickly she is growing up and how she'll be at school soon and you know um so there so I, I've actually got, had to get quite strict with myself because I think I keep thinking about the word tenderness because of the podcast and 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 I just keep thinking about how in order to really focus in on these things that you have to you have to get to kind of a tender place with them so I have to have my I have to have the distractions away and to be really just sitting there to realize that under the table of the cafe there's a dog asleep on a man's foot but I've only just noticed it because I've just slowed down you know and I've the other things have fallen away for a second and I've really looked because maybe that maybe the dog's the same color as his shoes slightly and I would have missed it um so I do think we have to be quite strict with ourselves about it because it's hard it's it's um designed to be hard to leave yeah 
Definitely. I think we need to be more disciplined, I think, than before these devices existed because of the way that they impact us. Yeah. Um, but what you do, it's a, it, it's a bit like meditation. It's, um, so I've heard it said that what poets do when they observe, they're practicing like pure present moment awareness. And I think there's something quite spiritual about what you do. And it makes me think of um, Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now. So in The Power of Now, he talks about like being in the present moment. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that really stuck with me that he said in that book was that if you're always in the present moment, then you're not going to miss out on your life or have any regrets. (laughs) So right, huh? always there in the moment. And every time you're observing one of these beautiful interactions or, or funny little moments, you're there, right there in the present moment. You're not in your internal dialogue. You know, you're not on yeah. your phone. And I <clears throat> often write them in the present tense because they were almost they're almost in present tense. I'll see it and then I'll try and write it down really fast. Um, it really helps when I have, I almost always have a notebook. I forgot one the other day, it's annoying. Um, but committing it to paper is better for me. It's, it's a, the paper isn't trying to drag me into it. It's just, it's just there. I'm just, you know, um, if it's an overheard conversation and sometimes I will record it into my phone because I almost can't, I can't write it down quickly enough to get it quite right. Um, but I would never record the person speaking. That would be weird. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, yeah, there is a presence to it, isn't it? I, I don't know whether if you, I think my husband might tell you that I'm also quite distracted from things he's trying to tell me because I'm looking around all the time. <laughs> so it's probably a combination. Oh, uh, I think that's okay. Personally. Yeah. That's um, nice. But there is, I've found so much tenderness in some of the moments particularly like this one um a little girl hands imaginary things to her mum who receives them respectfully mindful of their fragility Mm. so so moving and this one really speaks to me of this sense of common humanity and the fact that we're all the same we all feel the same things we want the same things like friendship and being heard and understood and comfort two women in hijab chat and laugh the tips of their white trainers dancing closer together with the swaying of the train it's funny hearing hearing that makes me feel emotional like it's really funny I don't know whether I'm a super emotional person I think becoming a parent does make you you know become maybe a bit more able to cry very easily but that why is that something in that observation is both sort of warm and sad and I think it's because it's it reminds me of how of time passing and how there, there's this moment between those two women, those two friends, and, and then it's gone. And yeah. then, you know, it's so delicate. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Drawing awareness to that, I think, is really, really important and really, really powerful. Yeah. And that's what I think you're doing um, in recording these moments and sharing them on Twitter and in this book. One of the really big things that seems to have come through is mm-hmm. this thing of connection. And yeah. I know that social media is, you know, for all of its, you know, downsides, that's obviously the really, really brilliant thing about it, this thing of connection. And the way that these um, tweets and these moments have resonated with others. Yeah. Could you talk a bit about that? Because I know that people have shared their own um, observations that they've drawn, illustrated. Incredible. Incredible. So um, in 2014, I think, I observed this um, woman on... I don't know if she was a bus or a tube, I can't think now, but she had this wavy silver hair and she had a red cape on and she was reading a book about tigers. And I wrote that down. And then this artist, Welbeck Kane, he sent me this astonishing drawing of it. I'll send it to you afterwards, it's absolutely beautiful. And you know, what he's done with her is he's done the cape and the silver hair and everything. And then he's given her a tiger tail, you know, while, he's, while she's reading this book. And I, I just thought it was wonderful and lovely and, and everything. And then kind of filed it away as a thing that happened. And then other artists started sending me their work. Wow. And other artists, and, and I had hundreds of images of um, what I was writing and none of them knew that anyone else was doing it. They were just doing it because they kind of just wanted to respond. Um, so it was really interesting when I when we, when we did start, you know, making a book, and then the publisher said, "Oh, we've got these ideas for illustrators," and I said, "I really want to use one of the illustrators that's been sending me their work for free because that feels right and because it's great." Um, so I showed them nine of these different illustrators, um, and they chose Lucy Power t- to do the drawings. Um, and she, yeah, I think there's something extraordinary, isn't there, about the cycle of. I see something, I describe it in words, they read it, they describe it in pictures and it's gone round and round in this yeah. circle. And I wish I could show you the drawings. I'll, I'll, I'll send you some, they're extraordinary. Yeah, I, it must've been really moving for you to see like the impact that your observation had had on mm. them to the point where they actually wanted to illustrate it and then send it back. Yeah, and send me, send me the drawing in the post. So one of the illustrations from the book the bird-headed lady she I have that in my room because she just posted me the picture and people respond with people respond a lot with what they are doing that's that's something I I just really enjoy and I really enjoy the time difference so I love you know I posted something about uh you know, having a coffee or something. And this guy says, oh, I'm, I'm in wherever he was. I'm just, just turn the lights out and going to bed, you know, and my dog's asleep in the corner kind of thing. I'm just like, you know, that, that, that's beautiful, isn't it? Those, those kind of connected things. But it's so that I really web. Do enjoy it. that yeah, web. that web. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I heard you say in the talk that you did that um, someone had suggested that a whole load of you meet up in a group and yeah. go around observing things <laughs> and writing things down together. Yeah. I think that's such a fantastic idea. I haven't done it. I've been asked again recently. I should organise that. Yeah. I think that'd be great. I did a really lovely talk recently for a charity called From Me to You. They're very cool. They're very, um, basically it's about writing to cancer 
sufferers to um, so that they have real letters that you can touch. Anyway, the point is not who they are, but the point is that the talk was with um, people from kind of all over and it was all on Zoom. And I did this exercise where I've never done it before. It was lovely where they I got everybody to try and write an observation of their surroundings, describing their um, the room they were in and, and really focusing on their senses. What could they see? What could they hear? What could they taste? What could they touch? All that. And then we read them all out together at the end, like a long poem. And um, it was astonishing. I think I think there's something there that could work with the notebook thing, you know, where we all go to the same place and, um, and, I, and I point to a tree in a park and a, I don't know, a bike that's tied under it. And I say to everyone, let's describe it. And then we read it. And I bet our descriptions would have these lovely differences and similarities that would there'd be lots to talk about, I think. There would. Um, I loved when you described what happened when you actually did go with someone almost to do that as an experiment and you went to yes. the leather chair. Could you yes. explain about so that? So that was a, yes. So we both had a notebook and the um, thing that we saw was in an estate and there was a chair on its side and it had this kind of stuffing coming out of it and it was surrounded by just weeds, you know, growing up from the ground. Anyway, we just wrote, we wrote a description. But when we looked at our descriptions, we had both compared the chair to a fallen soldier in a field of poppies, which is kind of, amazing to me that that metaphor came up for us both and I'm I, who knows how many people that would come up for but it was fascinating it's just a chair mm. you know it is amazing and you know there's both the, the witnessing of the thing itself and then mm-hmm. you know the interpretation of it that it's almost like I suppose like a universal sort of image or um, a a grand narrative yeah I was wondering how well they would translate into other languages I I definitely have followers who read them in their own language Mm. I'd be so curious to see you know how that for the for the very straightforward ones surely it's got to be quite it could work really well You, you know a woman in a yellow hat you know holds onto her hat while she runs down the road but the metaphor ones would be interesting wouldn't they they would. And I suppose you work in poetry, so that people must translate poems that have very specific images and rhythms. And Yeah, they do. Yeah. It would be very interesting to try it. You have to yeah. Try it. Do you speak any other languages? No. I'm no, very, yeah, very no, sad to say. <laughs> you speak Russian, don't you? How? Well, I mean, to A-level standard, that's all. Not properly, because I don't practice. So one of the other things I heard you mention was that you do witness sort of dark and sort of unpleasant things sometimes, but you don't often share them as people have said that what they love about your words is the kind of hope and joy that comes through. Yeah. And I wanted to ask if observing people closely as you do, has that changed your perception of what it means to be human? I think it's that's a beautiful question. And I think it's given me a lot of senses of how similar we are and how when somebody I I struggle to describe exactly why this is the case, right? But I feel like I sense more and more that when somebody is being aggressive or difficult or whatever it is that's happening, 
just this sense within them that they're not feeling good. I know that sounds really basic, but um, when you start to observe these things really closely for, for years and years and years, I think you see that there's a layer on top of, of people that can get a bit gnarled up, but underneath potentially, yeah, potentially there's so much that connects us, I think. Um, it reminds me of meditating, which I do anyway, I practice silent meditation. Just that beginning of the meditation where everything's like, ah, busy, busy mind whirling around and then it settles eventually. Um, and there's some clarity on top. And that's where you start to feel this sense of being connected to everything, I think. Yeah. yeah. Gosh, that resonates so much. Um, so I was actually thinking to myself that I wondered if you had that um, sense of basic goodness. Uh, and I, I had a feeling that you did. And it reminds mm -hmm. me of that because um, I actually share, I have that, that same sense about people too. And I don't know if you know Tara Brock, um, meditation, uh, Buddhist meditation oh. teacher. Yeah, I mean, I don't know her, but I know of her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she she describes how we wear this, people wear this spacesuit, that everyone's kind of wearing mm. a spacesuit mm. of like difficult experiences and from the past and dif difficult feelings and, and underneath, like that's our sort of true self like the the basic goodness that makes up all of us and I think I get the sense that when you really observe people closely you you actually get underneath to the truth of people which is that that you know when people act in difficult and sort of unkind ways it's it's really because of these difficult things that they're carrying around these things that yeah they're being triggered I, I, I felt that from, from reading your your words. Thank you. I think that feels right to me. There's a, um, a meditation technique where you, you look at the contents of your mind and then there's the one where you try and notice who is noticing the contents of your mind, who is the watcher and where are they? Mm. And you try and locate that watcher in your, is it in your head? Well, no, that doesn't. And that's when, in theory, you can start to think about yourself as being in your body but also sort of outside of it and everywhere um this all sounds very vast but I think it feels kind of relevant to what we're talking about because I I feel like that watcher quite a lot mm. who's sort of um yeah witnessing witnessing the world and yeah I, I just think it sounds almost kind of religious doesn't it to say that but I think if I didn't believe that the whole thing had essentially love running through it, I would feel very bleak. Mm. But I do think that that is the, un the, 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 the underlying feeling of humanity is, is essentially loving. Yeah. I would hope so. Yeah. I think it's a thread that also connects all of your, your witnessings too. I, I got that from reading them. So definitely. Good. <laughs> oh. So yeah, so we're coming towards the end now. And mm -hmm. um, there's a question that I always ask at the end of an interview, because the idea behind the tenderness revolution, it's that having this quality of tenderness for ourselves and others, um, it's made up of the three C's and I call them that because they 
enable us to fully see the truth about the way things are. And they are courage, curiosity, and compassion. Mm. And I want to ask you, if you had to choose one of these qualities that means the most in your life, what would you choose and why? Gosh, does everybody say, I want all of them. I want all of them. Oh, they're all People very, say that very... They're all, all wrapped up together, which is obviously true. Absolutely right. So my, I'm, I'm currently sitting in between compassion and curiosity. I think that compassion is the one because, because I think that the other two lead from it potentially. And you wouldn't necessarily say that the other way around. But if you're compassionate about something properly, you're going to be curious about it. And so that one definitely leads in that direction. And I suppose if you feel compassion about something, it might motivate you to be courageous and to, for example, speak out or to act. Mm. So I am going to choose compassion, but it's, yeah, it's a good question. True, you're right. And I think that in order to really fully see people Mm. and places and things, like even the way you describe light, to see those things the way you do, you have to have actually compassion for them. It sounds strange, but... It sounds exactly right. You have to empathise. I yeah. think if you were somebody who didn't empathise for whatever reason, maybe you wouldn't see things in quite the same way. The interesting thing is that if maybe the listeners were to try um, the, this practice that you do and just to take mm-hmm. a notebook or even in the notes bit of their phone to to jot down things that they see I think it actually makes you more compassionate as well there's something in that by stopping and witnessing even the the way that the wind moves the tree or there's something about the stopping and noticing that actually can inspire compassion too I think that's really wise. And I wonder if it's just the simple act of looking, of stopping to look inside, to look at, to look at something outside, just to change your focus from the internal noises to, to realise that there are all these other beings out there from the pigeon on the pavement to, you know, your friend. And that's got to inspire compassion in you, hasn't it? Yeah. Sort of noticing them. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being with us on the Tenderness Revolution today. I really, really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thank Thank you. Good to meet you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Tenderness Revolution. I hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Tenderness Revolution. 
I hope you come back for more because my aim with this podcast is to help us become more aware of these moments of kindness and compassion and how they shape our lives and enable us to feel more connected to the world around us.